We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mikel Arteta tries to beat last season's Manchester United, but unfortunately, he lost to this season's Manchester United. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. What on earth do I mean? What I mean is, he picked the lineup that he said was with an eye towards how he beat Manchester United at Old Trafford last season, which will certainly be a strong debate on this episode, I have no doubt, uh, but it did not beat Manchester United this season, and it's disappointing. Now look, we did an instant reaction pod. It was just me and Paul. It was kind of morose. We'll try to keep the tone a little bit lighter in this episode, but it is what it is. And and I think every time you discuss a game, you bring to it the emotion of how that game hit you. So I want to unburden myself really quickly and say that this game hit me really hard. I really, really, really did not enjoy it and was upset by it. And I think I am, if I have to rank this in terms of like disappointments during the Arteta, Arteta era, this one is there for me with, I guess, the Villarreal tie last season. Like, it's it's there. And so that degree of frustration and disappointment is certainly going to bleed into my analysis. And I will do my best to, you know, try not to get, to get overcome by it. But we, we all bring our reactions into our analysis based on how we feel from the game. Watch little bits and pieces of it again. So hopefully have a, a fair appraisal of it. But that's where I'm at. This is going to be a multi-part episode, so we'll get with Clive now, and then we'll get with the uh, rest of the crew after the break, just in terms of timing of recording and wanting to get this out to you today, since obviously a little weird playing on Thursday, although with any luck, we might be playing on Thursday next season, dare I even say Tuesday, Wednesday, although this result certainly uh, puts a dent in that. So uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. He's up first. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. So let me just start by asking you really quickly. I mean, you heard me unburdening myself to make the point that, that that I was hit pretty hard, both by the performance and by the result. Where are you just generally in terms of how you react to this game? Because again, our analysis is always going to be informed by our emotional reaction to a game, right? Like I, I found myself unable to be quite as angry and hurt about the 4-0 at Liverpool as some people were, but I find myself able to be very much both of those things from this game. Yeah, um, it's a tough one, this one. This feels like a little bit like um, the old Arsenal pre-Christmas last year, you know, and um, and the reaction to the game. I think um, I've forgotten what a bad defeat looks like online. 
And I, I found myself getting into conversations that, oh no, you better stop now because it's getting unreasonable. <laughs> and um, I need to go away and, and decompress and have a look at it again. And I tend to calm down pretty quickly after I've you know, absorbed the game in my own mind. And um, very disappointing because we sort of gave them their day. We gave Ronaldo his record. We gave Carrick his send-off. The Old Trafford crowd trot off into the evening. The Arsenal fans who were magnificent in the ground on the night trot off into evening with another defeat they didn't deserve. And it's like, come on, guys, we're better than this. It's time for us to be better than this. That was my gut feeling. It's time for us to, to believe we're better than this. And that's really important. And that belief, you know, this is a definite sit down with the squad. Let's watch this game job. Look what, look where you are, look what you can do, and look what you did on this day. Because some of the mistakes were really elementary. And some of them are brought on board by squad competition, and I'll talk a bit more about that later on. And um, But very disappointing, very disappointing. And, mate, just, just let me lose. I th- I've got some stuff to say, <clears throat> honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I think one thing we have to touch on, whether it's where you want to go initially, is the lineup because of the Elneny choice. And, I, you know, I think what's hard, when a specific selection is as controversial and as hotly debated as this one, I think the reductive way of looking at it is, well, the player did okay, so obviously the selection was not a problem. But the selection isn't just whether that player does okay. It is what would the other player have done? What did that selection transmit to the team? What did that uh, selection allow the opposition to do? For example, were United able to key on party more, making party's performance look real bad, meaning that Elneny had more of the ball, where maybe the passes went back to defenders more or the play was a little more conservative or a little slower. And whereas if Sambi had been there, maybe there's more room for party or maybe Sambi does other things. You can never prove a negative. You can't prove what would have happened had he made a different selection. I think the thing that's weird for me is, and he even said it, I picked Elneny because when we went to Old Trafford last season and beat them, he was good in that game. And that just feels so retrograde. It feels like a step back from a manager whose whole thing this season has been, we found a solution, we're going with the new guys, we're going with the direction forward. And even if you rate Elneny, which I don't, picking a guy who's got like 45 minutes of football this season or whatever it is, you know, it's not much, over Maitland Niles, who was man of the match in the last time he played and has played an important role this season, and Samby, who, after going through a rough patch at Anfield, was trusted again against Newcastle. Like it's just a really odd decision in the context of what Arteta has been trying to build this season. And it's such a weird galaxy brain thing to sort of say, well, he did a job last season against a totally different United under totally different circumstances, so I'll go with him again. I'm curious how you parse that decision because I am able to hold my hand up and say El Nenny was fine. He did El Nenny stuff. But I don't think that's just the end of the the analysis of that 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 decision. Yeah, I mean, frustrating. The word frustration can't leave my mind. I got so many messages, people saying to me, Clive, get on the pod, you need to calm me down. I thought, well, who calms down the bloke that needs to, <laughs> to calm down the people <laughs> down, right? So, um, and, I, and I'll tell you who it was today. I just saw a, a blog from Jim at East Lower, and I just saw the title, and he said, frustration is better than resignation. And I think when we play Liverpool, there's a resignation. When we play this team, oh, come on, we know we're better, right? So this is why everyone has frustration. And part of that frustration for me is El Nenny and how we see our midfield. I don't even want me to do El Nenny and party together, mate. I'm happy to do it. But um, I'll do El Nenny first. Right? 
And this is how people look at the game. So what when when is giving four short passes away in the first 20 minutes, people say, well, that's crap, he's crap, game over. Right? So, mm. And they assess him. Well, actually, he improved, did more interceptions, more loose ball collections. But you know what? For me, he needs to be more assertive. He needs to show more leadership. The fact he came out for the interview afterwards, I think it's a good sign. You need to wake up, son, and be who you are. Right? So a general message. You'll have better days on the ball. We all know you're talented. So done. El Nenny's slightly different. He's coming to the team, hasn't played for a while. And what he was in, he was in, I'm going to impress mode. And he was absolutely everywhere. Well, actually, I don't want you to be everywhere. I want you to play in a similar structure to Sambu Lakonga. If I said to you, Elliot, tell me the player that carried the ball the most and tell me the player who you don't want carrying the player the most. Carrying the ball the most, yep. Mm-hmm. It's Elneny. Yes, Elneny, Elneny yeah. had 73 carries in this game and we all know he runs with diving boots on. So what does that mean? He's carrying the ball to the person in possession and then that creates turnovers because your distances are too close. The, the speed by which he moves, he's not looking to cut you, he's carrying it to the next pass, so he gets it back. Crap. Yeah. Rubbish. Rubbish. Right? So as you're carrying it, everyone knows where you're going. As you get there, you bring the cavalry with you, so you block off the en- the exits for the player who receives the ball. All you can do is, you're, you're basically, you're lending in the ball. So well, mm-hmm. any stats look great. And everyone goes, oh, he played more passes than party. You're not watching, mate. You're not watching. You're not watching the game. So we've lost our structure. So we're now reacting to how ebullient Elneny feels. He feels good. He's touching the ball. He's carrying it. He's part. Mate, that's not what we want. We are sharper, sharper passing. We let the ball do the work. We create isolations and we join the player that's in isolations quickly. If we carry it over, it's all clutched. Our distances are too short. How many times do you see people losing the ball when they're three yards apart from each other? That's a sign we got it wrong. Our carry percentage was too high. I looked at a Newcastle game. Who's the top carrier then? Sambi Laconga. I want him carrying the ball because he carries it like a dagger. He carries it at speed. He has no touch turn and he's beating people. Mm. He's not carrying it for the sake. If you tell me that El Nenny dribbled past 10 people, I'll hold my hand up and say, I didn't see that. Right. So, um, so this is what I, this is what I mean about watching the football match before you go to too heavy into critique, which seems to be narrative driven, right? So, so then he was fine, but for me, he awakens things in our team, which I don't like seeing. So by creating turnovers, what happens earlier is we have to react to the loss in possession. So if you lose the ball left-hand side, they pop into, they pop in behind us. Right-hand side, we did much better, but we still had problems. Ben White got stressed and dropped off deep, just like David Luiz did. Not engaged, can't get his blocks, can't get his tackles. Fred run off shoulders because we're in transition. We're not quite in shape because we're running back into shape. It's because we are loose in possession, cause and effect, loose in possession in centre midfield, loose in possession and ball retention in that phase two build-up I've been talking about for last month, and boy, did it show up last night. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's 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 really frustrating. This felt like. Oh, by the way, I am not upset, right? Well, I'm upset we lost, right? But I'm not where I was because this is fixable. We introduced this problem, and squad competition really affected, in my mind, three players: in Nuno, El Neni, and Odegaard. They almost tried too hard, and their want 
to be really in this team actually broke some of our structures, broke some of our ball security and create gaps in our back line. And I think that's where the game was lost. And yeah. even so, they were rubbish. Mate. They were, well, that, that's, look, this is the most expected goals United have had in eight games, second fewest they've allowed in seven games. Like the, I watched them play Chelsea, and I realize we're not Chelsea, but like they can't take the ball off you. They can't win the ball back. They're not spaced properly. And there is a point at which you go, look, there's some talented players in their attack, fine. But like they are a mess. They have a relegation-level defense. They have no manager, literally no manager, just a guy standing there waiting for the next guy to show up. And we have a guy who's you know into his sort of third-ish season who's drilled us carefully and and supposedly has us on a good trajectory and we you know we figured some things out like the thing that really bothers me is this wasn't a case in my view of united sort of squeezing us in and pushing us back and winning the, the territory and starting to you know clamp down on us and take the ball off us and make it difficult for us to play this was a poor quality football match on both sides. Like I, you know, three two normally say, well, great game, exhilarating, well played. I thought this was a poor game. I mean, obviously the opening goal is bizarre. Talk about more about that with Tim. I think we can get to that. But you know, if I was a United fan, thank God I'm not. <clears throat> I mean, David De Gea, what are you doing? But yeah, you got away with Clive, that. The, by the, way. the thing we have to discuss. You know, there are certain things that happen in a game where you say, well, that's just crazy. It's just a crazy thing that happened. Martin Odegaard making a ridiculous tackle that loses you the game, fine. But there are certain things that become a pattern against Crystal Palace, against Leicester, against Spurs, against United in this game. I feel like I'm missing some uh, Brighton, but that was at nil-nil. We have seen a pattern this season of the team not just being willing to give up some possession in a lead, but to completely go into a turtle shell. And I want to be clear about this because we've had this debate. No one is saying that when you take the lead, you should have 70% of the ball and all the chances. You can play on the counter. But playing on the counter involves completing more than two passes in a row, getting into the opposition half, having some final third touches. And, And, you know, I watched Liverpool play Everton. And we're not Liverpool, and United maybe sort of are better than Everton. But Liverpool go two up. And they want to go three up. And they go three up and they want to go four up. And there is a killer instinct where they get even better and they press even more aggressively and they play even harder. And and it it takes that team that's already down and just puts them in the mud and makes it really hard for them to feel like they can get back into the game. Clive, you have to explain to me what's happening where we do this thing when we take a lead and what happened after the 13th minute against United, where suddenly we have none of the ball and none of the field and not because we're being pressed with an inch of our life. We just seemingly lose the will or ability to play. And, you know, some people are saying, well, it's not what Arteta wants. Clearly he's remonstrating with them to get up the pitch. He's saying it's not what he wants. Yeah. He doesn't want it. But even if it's not what he wants, you're the coach and it's happening a lot. So why is it happening? Okay. So no manager wants you, the other team close to their goal, really not for too long, you know, because it's going to end up in a problem. So I don't agree with that thought process that this is what we want to do. But what we do want to do, we we have a natural tendency to close our distances, 4-4-2, close them. And I looked at I watched the first half today because I, I saw all the discourse and I thought, okay, let me have a look at this, see what's going on. And you sort of half-nailed it there earlier. So we drop away. But we have multiple opportunities to break out. And when I mean we kicked the ball out of play twice on the left-hand side, three times, yeah. when Aubameyang was spinning in behind, when Nuno was bombing up down, and then he just kicked it out on the left-hand side. 
just kicked it out. Just didn't make the pass. He's out for throwing, right? We got Smith throw dispossessed multiple times. Odegaard dispossessed multiple times. These are chances to get out. So when you continually don't get out, guess what happens? You're back to where you were. And it looks to the eye that we're, we're sitting in. No, no, no. Focus on our inefficiency to break out. Focus on the regain retain. You heard me say this before, first three. I, I swear if I could speak to Scott and say, tell me how many times in that first half, last half hour, the first half, that we didn't get to three passes when we had possession. I want to know. Yeah. You know, I bet the manager wants to know. Because first three, you know what Herbie said before, you regain it, you win it. Well, you didn't have to really win it because they were so crap. They gave it to us. And then we we give it straight back to them. We we can't even get into shape. We can't get up the pitch. You know, we can't yeah. get up the pitch. And what that leads to, that leads to us forcing the situation. That leads to us, what Nuno does, he popped it to Smith on the second goal. He wasn't really in shape to receive it. He loses it. They pop straight into Nuno's hole. Cut back cross, Ronaldo celebrating. What a fucking what a load of rubbish. <laughs> what a load of rubbish that is. That needs someone to say, Oh yeah, Nuno, just stand here for a minute, mate. Can you yeah. just stand here for a minute? I know you want to go. I know you want to burst out of your hole, but just stand here. Stay with me for a minute. Let's go narrow and we'll let's get a bit of control and then we break out of our holes from there on in. That's the stuff. So when we're continually losing the ball by being deep and not exiting, what needs to happen is you need to click the ball over the top and get yourself up the pitch. Right? You've got Marcelli out there, the Bamiang out there. They should be spinning in behind. But no, 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 no. Well, let's not talk about our centre forward, right? We well, won't do that. To, <laughs> we won't do that. And Marcelli was game, particularly in the first half, and got better as the game went on, which is a massively positive sign. But we're not smart. We don't say, okay, they're trying to pin us back. Maguire's having two shots in the first half, and they were right near our goal. That means he's not bothered about spinning in behind. So we need to spin them. They're getting encouraged. They're pushing on to us. When a team that is as bad at pressing and winning the ball back as they are has their center back in your defensive third, that should be, your eyes should be like saucers with excitement, drooling when you got Martinelli and Aubameyang and Smith Rowe with the way they can carry and run and the the dynamic pace. And I mean, just make the the idea that, um, yeah, he's he's 20 yards from our goal. What are we doing? We have no exit. (laughs) Just make runs out to him. Bang. Just make them. Just make them think that he can't bowl up and try to put one in our top corner. I mean, what? This sort of stuff, this is in-game management and intelligence. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We lack a bit of that. And I've got to be honest with you, we do. It's very easy when I'm watching the game when I'm on my Watt bike having a, having a cycle so I can see everything, right? So when you're in the mix, you don't see every aspect of the game. But for me, as soon as that centre-half is pushing on, I'm going in behind. I'm going in behind. And what that does, it gives us a chance to get out. So I don't think we drop in on purpose for too long. We don't know. We're inaccurate on our exits. And we don't value the territory as we should. We don't think, we don't want to be here because we're quite cool. We got Ramsdale, we got White, we got Gabrielle, we're popping it to parties, pinging it back to literally Gabrielle on the corner flag, and we're exiting out and we're getting back in. And I used to, oh, this looks, we're feeling quite comfortable because they're so rubbish. But really, they were creaking up the temperature, and eventually, a poor clearance, not big enough, didn't turn them around. They could come back second phase, and they catch us for a couple of 
loose engagements, and um, and they put, they're going one one at half time. And I'm looking but, at this game, and I'm thinking, what is going on? How dumb is that? But like, this is the thing, right? I mean, you can you can get caught, you can concede. There are lots of ways you can concede. For it to come after a period of thirty minutes of just not being in the game at all, that's what's frustrating. Because I, you know, I don't. I definitely want to be clear, right? The other team gets to do tactics too. And there are games when you're not in the game at all because the other team has just absolutely outplayed you. And there are times when you've just sort of failed to to play yourself. And this business of being that deep after we've taken a lead and not getting out and not holding the ball and not completing three passes in a row, it is a trend. It is a thing that is now consistent. We saw it against Palace. We saw it against Leicester. We saw it against Spurs. We start against Brighton at nil-nil, but like, you know, all right, Spurs, you're 3-nil. Leicester, you're 2-nil. This is 1-nil away to United, and and I there isn't really a good explanation for it. And I, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, it's, yep. a, young, it's a young team, but there in is. the center of the park, between Aubameyang, Elneny, and Thomas Partey, they're not young. You know, no. they're men. And, and so you should be able to get the ball into one of those midfielders to pop it back out to a fullback or, you know, around the corner to Aubameyang or something. And none, yeah. none of that's happening. So if you look at the, the three players you just mentioned, so on any, I've sort of explained what he was doing. So he was just having a look at me day, right? So um, um, we don't want you having that many touches, mate, and that many carries because that's happening. Then everyone else is being squeezed because you take too long. Thomas Party had some very obvious mistakes. I mean, his short passing accuracy is really, really quite poor. And so when you see somebody not passing five yards, you can remember that and it sticks in your mind. When you see him, we had one switch out to the right-hand side and he missed it and he was frustrated with himself. But then he recovered and he was better. But you don't forget that, right? Can I ask but, you a question about him too? Yeah, you know, some players have a little tick or thing that they do and I think opposition can suss it out. Like one thing Party likes to do when he receives it with his back to the opposition goal, like open his body with his right foot, kind of flick it out of his body. And we've seen him lose the ball a few times doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah, like he instead does. of just a half turn, he does this like kind of flick with his right yeah. foot and he had it taken from him this game. I'm wondering if if players are, if the opposition sort of catching on to how he likes to receive the ball because he's don't getting see dispossessed it. from that. I don't see it as that. If you look at all these, all those occasions, they're normally attacking from both sides. Right, mm, so the yeah. two players are sprinting at him from both sides, and he hasn't. He, he, the picture back, you know, where it, I always say it, the ball comes through in a, in a tunnel, and the safest pass is to send it back in the same tunnel. If that's yeah. taken away, and two players are coming from the side, you have to try to be agile and get out. And he does it a lot. And when he does, we just all clap and expect him to do it. And when he doesn't, he's crap. You know. And I think the situation is there. We got we got to be a bit smarter. This is where. This is where Shaka's excellent because when he goes into party's feet, Shaka never runs past him. He's always there on the angle. Then he can they can bounce it off each other and then get out that way. And then he was a bit active and not always in connection. And it's just a style thing. I thought he connected quite well on the left hand side on any on occasions, but not so much in the inside. You know, so and he was caught on that occasion. And so I don't think it's like people are working out his moves because I don't I don't know what he's gonna do. So if they know what he's going to do, I'll tell you what they are going to do. They know that he's the man. If we can get to him, we can stop them building up. And he did a lot of build up in that central key that was okay, but a couple that weren't okay. And there's no denying it. He wasn't assertive enough. He wasn't accurate enough. And so Aubameyang's a ghost at the moment, right? So, But for me, 
these, the big situation for me, Elliot, is ball retention in that phase two build-up. When we receive the ball, it goes into Odegaard, it goes into Aubameyang, it goes into Smith Rowe. And I'm sorry, we're not, we're not, we're not secure enough, mate. We're, we're not secure enough. The most secure player is Saka, and we missed him. You know, and Martelli, I thought, did a good job securing the ball. And when he lost it, his reaction was fantastic. So mm. that. We're not secure enough. And people keep talking about, all oh, our creativity. But it's in those guys' boots. It's in their boots. And for them, they need to not focus on their creativity because they can create. They need to focus on that first, that phase two build-up, securing the ball, escaping from the pressure, so we can play. And if they can't do it, we need a centre-forward that can. Because our centre-forward's not interested in that side of the game. You know? Mm. At the moment, I'm, I, I, you know me, I never like fingering individuals. I don't like it. It's a team game. It's always cause and effect. But there is a saying, you're as good as your forwards. Yeah. You know, and I'm a big believer in that. And your forwards terrorize teams. They shake teams. They make people do things. And if their center half is taking shots in our area, what do they think about our forward? You know, and that's always a concern for me. And there's a, there's a, there's a problem we need to fix. They need to fix, they need to work out how we're going to fix it. Fans need to work out who they're going to blame. And all I'm saying to you is in that phase two builder, our ball security is not good enough, you know, and, and we need to improve it. And that includes the players that we love. I don't care. They need to get better because we're not getting into attacking shape consistently. We're not getting enough attacking numbers consistently. And it was really highlighted last night. And the way it was perceived to us as fans was we spent too long in our half. When really we had opportunities to get out, I promise you, watch it again. The issue was build up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I just the problem is that we see these these repeated periods in games where suddenly, you know, the the, the tempo slows down. Players can't make easy passes to men in open space. Players stop showing for the ball. We lose some of the the, the spacing across the pitch vertically. Right, we get really compressed vertically, and then it's very easy for fewer players to push us to push us back and cover the space. Um, you know, there's it's but tough even, because you know what, Elliot? You know, even within this that hodgepodge, right? Mm-hmm. Even within the stuff, you haven't got to be a super game analyst to work out what we did wrong, right? It, it's quite clear we were sloppy, we were loose. And yeah, even but, within that. Oh my god, we should have won that game. It, it was well that's so that's the thing. This is this is what I, I kind of want to come on to because Oba had a bad game. I, I thought, you know, I'm in a debate on social media about Odegaard because I thought Odegaard did some of the things that frustrate me about him, which he he wasn't finding the space to be available the way I'd like. You know, he Can we talk about Odegaard on the, Well, want, okay, because I, I think tempo like when I think Odegaard, in my mind, the picture on my mind is floats into space, finds the hole in in the opposition defense, receives it on the half turn, keeps it moving, punches it forward. And like, we're not really getting that. I realized he created four chances, but three are from set pieces. And those still, those still count. Scored a nice goal, cost us the game with the, the, the dumb, you know, tackle. But again, players make mistakes. The bigger thing for me is in the period where we're not getting the ball forward, I feel like he, he needs to be a bit of the oil in the engine there, finding the pockets of space and being available and maybe that's putting too much burden on him. Do you have a Do you have a thought on that? No, I I I tend to agree with you on that. I, in the moments of doubt and stress, you want your more secure players to show, right? So parties in that got to show. Odegaard got to show. 
Yeah. You can't be afraid. You've got to show. You know, Aubameyang, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not so good at showing, but maybe I can make some runs to make the defender's job easier. They can see me earlier. They can see me moving. I'm not on the opposite side to where the ball is, fixing my gloves. Do you know what I mean? And uh, you need to be in there, spinning them back, making them think. You may not be having a good day on the on the ball, but make sure your centre-half doesn't have an easy day. Do you know what I mean? By your yeah. movement and your desire to work, etc. That's why I, I get concerned about him. I never worry about him even scoring. I worry about his engagement, connection, and how active he is. He's a wonderful athlete. Be a wonderful athlete. Don't stand still. You know, so that's my concern there. And so we want, I don't mind players not being what I want them to be, but be who you actually are. So Odegaard, you're a high-touch, technical, secure player. Get on the ball more than they any. You know, make sure you do. Get the ball off him. We don't want him having the ball. You get on it. You know, and and Aubameyang, start moving. You know, and that's, that's it for me. And we have a problem, Elliot. We have a development opportunity, shall we say. That's the coaching mm-hmm. terminology. <laughs> and the development opportunity is we need something up front to hit. You know, and at the moment we've got a ghost up there. And it feels very much like when we go away, we play with we play ten men. I said in the preview pod or the pod we had last week, I said, you know what, I don't mind going there as long as we have eleven men. And I knew what I sort of meant. Mm-hmm. I just want to have 11 men. You can't go away to the Northwest with 10 men. You just can't do it. Yeah. You can't yep. do it. And, and, that, and that's how it feels at the moment. And, and I think, look, there, there are a lot of incidents in this game. And I think in the next section, I'll, we'll cover the incidents more. But I, I want to get to a couple decisions because this, you know, it's funny, right? Like I was full of praise for Arteta around the Newcastle game because I think it was a game of decisions, big decisions, and he got them all right. And what I mean is mm-hmm. coming off the painful loss at Anfield, stuck with... Sambi stuck with Tavares. You know, he he got his substitution spot on when Saka came off. He goes to Martinelli and Martinelli repays him. And I, I just felt like he had a really good game with his selection and his tactics and his responses. And this yeah. felt like a big setback for Arteta because let's remember, he's young and much like the young players can have setbacks, this felt like a setback to me. And I feel like he just, sometimes in a game, I think a manager just gets lost in the weeds. And I thought he got lost in the weeds. He picks El Nenny and it's not working out really. And he sticks with everybody. I mean, his first sub, I think, is at 70 minutes. And then yeah. he goes forwards for forwards. And suddenly he's bringing on guys like Enkedia, you know, who, you know, with all the goodwill in the world to the guy, like he's turned down a contract. He's going to be leaving. And you've got Pepe on the bench. I know you don't like him, but, you know, you're chasing a goal and he's dangerous. He, you know, he, he, he makes. He swapped forwards for forwards, and I made a comment in the instant reaction pod that I'm curious to get your take on, Clive, which is I thought he kind of split the baby. He brought on attacking players, but he brought them on for other attacking players, and it felt to me like Arteta would have liked to have gotten the draw or even the win, but was not willing to push the boat out and risk 4-2 or 5-2 because, you know, he didn't take off a fullback for a forward. He didn't take off one of his DMs for a forward. You know, he kept the structure behind and just swapped out the deck chairs up front, you know. Yeah, that, and that's what you would have done, right? So that's that's fine. So let's 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 get real. Yeah, now, I probably right? take Tomiyasu off for one of the forwards, yeah. or I take mm-hmm. one of the central midfielders off. You know, let Smith Rowe play the deeper central midfield role and bring on another forward. I, it just felt it of felt a little do. timid. You could have gone to a back three, you could have, yeah. and took Nuno out, and um, you could have done you could have a number of things you could have done, right? So we're coming to a period now where we've got a more compressed schedule, and that means more decisions. And what it also means is less 
transparency for us as fans as we do not know the health of the players who are sitting there on the sideline. And we do not know why people have been changed. When we're playing once a week, we can say, you know what, they're in pretty good shape. Why don't we just keep the same team? Well, that's what we've done, more or less. And we've had success. Now we've come to a situation where potentially he, he's dropped, he's put Sambi down, right? So I'm thinking, well, I'm not too sure why he's done that. And I'm thinking, well, Ainsley made the Niles, last two starts as man of the match, you know, he's done quite well. What's happening there? Pepe, does he does he like him? I'm not too sure. Is he, <laughs> I think is he we seen know. him? And, <laughs> and, and uh, well, we well, we don't know, do we? You know, we you know we we don't honestly know. We thought he didn't like Ainsley, and he played him. You know, and he's not playing him now, right? And um, and you know, Lacazette sat for ages. Now he's got into the team. It's like. He, it's it's hard to read, and I, I and I sometimes don't want to get wrapped up in in this stuff, Elliot, because we don't know the full story, you know. Mm. But what I will say is there's a there's there's a way that he manages people, and I look at the only experience I can look at is, is say Pep, for example, and he does a very similar thing. He sits people down for weeks and makes them wonder about themselves. He did it with Sterling. He does it with Mares. Well, I mean, he Bernardo. did it with Sane, and in that case, he just didn't want him. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, he did it with Sane. But yeah. Sane was the only one that's gone. Yeah, you know, a yeah. few of them, uh, you know, that were meant to go, and they're still here signing contracts. Did it with Stone for ages, and he sits people for a long time. And I and I see the similar trait in Arteta. He sits people, and it makes me think, what, what are you doing here? Now, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. It doesn't make him a bad person, shall we say. And I'm looking at Pepe and I'm thinking, well, mate, you've got to get on in front of Benketia, who just turned down a contract. I also looked at Pepe and thought in the game against Palace, he didn't give two monkeys in that game. So is there things going on in training that we're not aware of? I don't know. I'm yeah. loath to get into that. But if you're asking me as a fan... You know, you know, I'm a fan of Pepe. I'm a fan of him until he plays bad. And I think, crikey, you idiot. Why do you possess a fan? But on his on his day, on a big pitch like Old Trafford, with big spaces, you need big space runners. And Saka's not there. Mate, I'd have him in the team all day. Big space runners, as many as you can. Tell them get comfortable. I felt our two attacking mids in Odegaard and Smith-Rowe came to the ball, lost it. We didn't have a fear of the stretch. And our most stretchy player was our best forward in Martinelli. Most active, progressive, challenging forward who challenged him behind and challenged with the ball with his carries and threatened with his first and secondary movement. And we need more of that. Old Trafford's a big space, a big pitch. Big pitch runners is what you need on that pitch. You don't need tippy-tappy midfielders running to the ball, compressing the space, making them feel comfortable, and giving fans the perception that we are sitting in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing I want to be clear about, right, is set aside whether you like the individuals he brought on. Maybe you're fine with Enkedi over over Pepe, right? Like, I, that's not so much my point. It's more that, like, he you took a striker off for a striker. <laughs> he took a, a wide forward off for a wide forward. He took another forward off for a forward, right? Like, he just, yeah. he took Smithrow, Odegaard, and Aubameyang and swap them for Saka and Kedia and Lacazette. And yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know that I think that that changes the dynamic of the game. It changes the people on the pitch and freshens them up, but it doesn't change the dynamic. Like, why not, I guess what I'm saying is, take off El Elneny, move Smith-Rowe interior when you bring Saka on, right? So now you have Smith-Rowe yeah. and Thomas in the middle and Saka up front. Why not, instead of, you know, taking off 
um, Aubameyang or Odegaard when you want to bring on Lacazette. You okay, take so off Tomiyasu or, Ta- or Tavares, and you go to a back three, right, with Saka and Martinelli playing up the pitch as wingback. There's Elliot, lots of things you can do that show I'm really chasing this game. And he yeah. waited till 70 minutes to do any of it. 79 minutes before he makes his second change. Yeah, so you can, if you want to critique the time, that's your prerogative, absolutely. But let me just try to, without defending, let me try to give you another scenario on on uh, Smith Rowe, for example, who I felt should have come off a waste way before he did. He was absolutely shattered, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the player, yeah, you know that that's fair. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, he was absolutely shattered. So he should have come off earlier, you know, and because that would have just given a, a new attacking face for us and. So that's one thing we could have done. Obviously, Saka hadn't trained because he came into the situation, looked okay, could have won us the game, but just didn't look sharp enough. And it just goes to show you, if you don't train, that sharpness means such a such a lot. You know, people think you can just sit down for three, four days and come out and play that level. You can't. You know, you've got to be training. You've got to be fit. And um, so we really missed that player. Um, a Bamiyang, mate, wouldn't have scored till Tuesday. Come on, we need to wake up to what we're seeing. Right? He wouldn't have scored till Tuesday. You know once he missed that offside chance, he was never scoring. And some people will say, but Clive, he's a Bamiyang, he's our captain. You keep him on, you never know what could happen in the last minute. Well, I don't think we can accuse Mikel Arteta of not playing a Bamiyang through form, bad form periods. He plays him as much as he can. He selects him as much as he can. And on this day, he was struggling. And so he brought some more energy on. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Odegaard... Having a crushed, he had a crushed, crushed his day, was inconsistent, did some good things, did some bad things, gave away the penalty, was suffering a bit, he brought Lacazette on. It's not a problem to share the game. It really isn't a problem to share the game. And bring on Eddie was the one that maybe you could question. And due to the fact that for me, if you're, if you're, if you don't want to stay, you don't want to sign a contract, then the way I would manage it is I'd manage it slightly differently. I would say, well, okay, you, you don't be part of this then I'm going to make sure I pay the people with the contracts who are part of this. You know, and that's what I would do. But he constantly refers to Eddie being an example and a pro and professional. And again, it's behind closed door stuff that I I can't really disagree with. I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have a problem with Enkedia coming on. I guess I just look at it and I say, I struggle to see how swapping out Odegaard and Aubameyang for Lacazette and Enkedia fixes structurally you know, the challenges that you, you've had breaking them down. You know, it's, yeah. it's not really, you're not committing to going but, but and getting then, that. But that's, that but that's, your, that but that's right. your reason for making the change. His reason for making the change could be, you know what, I'm not happy with you today, so I'm taking you off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? And so this week, this is where we get into a situation where we're just not sure of the, all the reasoning. But most of the time when, when I make substitutions or I help my manager advise on substitutions because if somebody's got knackered, or somebody's playing rubbish. Do you know what I mean? That's and that's it. I mean, we want to keep doing what we're doing. We want to keep doing what we're doing with energy and with more decisiveness. And with somebody who wants to show us something and prove something, and that's what yeah. tends to happen, right? So, I think as a as a final point here, before we take a break and come back with with Tim and talk more of the incidents and and moments from the match, maybe a little less meta, just in terms of. Putting this game into perspective, I think there are going to always be people who will say, you just can't get this upset at going to Old Trafford and losing. There's still a lot of talent in that United team. I think you got to play the team that's on the pitch. And I saw you were tweeting, you know, we're playing the shirt. you got to play the team. I don't think United beat us. I think we lost to them. 
Um, if that makes sense, you know, I, I obviously the penalty we gave away is silly. We ceded control of the game when there were opportunities, but I just, you know, we've, we've won a lot of games on this run against teams that are bad. We've had some games that were encouraging. We had the one really big wound against Liverpool, but we know we're, you know, look, they score four against everyone. This felt like a really good opportunity for us to show a confirmation of the good run that yeah. we are this team we've been building towards being that we can go to a weakened managerless United and impose our football on them a bit and outplay them because we are better than them in this moment. And the way the game started, it felt like that was going to happen. But ultimately I think the choices Arteta made the passivity in terms of substitutions, the way that the team again, just was willing to yield the, the impetus in the game. Clive, I think the reason this hurts is I wanted confirmation, Anfield aside, of the direction of travel. And this feels like a pretty big setback to me. So So 30,000 foot view, do you you view it in the same way? So you, yeah, so what you did, and you weren't alone, is you decided this was a day to confirm what I think is happening. And it didn't happen. So you're you're properly disappointed. Because you decided in your mind, May night away is a perfect opportunity to say, Arsenal are coming, man. That's what Based on where they are right now, not exactly. not a typical United away, this United. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um and it, it didn't it didn't quite happen. It's it's a strange game. This game could have easily been a Leicester. Easily been a Leicester. We started really well, we pin them back, we have corners, we get a shot, we get a goal. But it wasn't Martinelli a, had the chance to make it 2 0. He could slide it to Smith Rowe. Should, should have slided to Smith Rowe. I don't mind a forward eight yards out on March shooting, but he, he's on the stretch, mate. right? It should have been a Leicester. It should have been 2 0 jogging back. And but what happened was we missed a second ch- that chance. Ellie. That's absolutely spot on, mate. And but also another thing that happened was the goal that we scored was such a strange goal. There was such a delay. There wasn't a chance to create momentum off of that. You know, because anything they had time to think, they had time to get upset, and if anything, it the goal was them a bit. They had yeah. that sense of injustice. They came out kind of, you know, yeah. The goal sort of, it sort of, it sort of woke them up. It's like normally a goal is, is something that we can then use to get the second, which we didn't quite get. They didn't do much. They just ran about a bit more, but it sort of gave them, it gave them a, a cause. Do you know what I mean? It gave them a cause, and they grabbed it. So scoring that goal, that type of goal, was not was not good. I've never not wanted Arsenal to score, but I was sitting there thinking, I wish we hadn't scored because we were playing so well, and it created a dynamic in the game which which was which was unusual, depending on the quality. So if I look at the season as a whole, I, I, I sort of tweeted this out. I said. We've lost a few games this year. So Brentford, I felt it was, should have been called off. <laughs> it was COVID. We had an incredibly young team, you know, on the wrong day. Done. City, Liverpool, Chelsea—they're just better than us, right? And um, but I, I look at this game and I think to myself, no, no, this was this was on us. This is about us. We can do this. We're better than this. We can we can beat this team, and we should have been this team, and we need to believe that we can beat this team. And it's not about so much no excuses; it's about it's time for you to realise that inexperience is not a place that you can hide. You need to realise the game, recognise the game. Um, we were, you know, there are teams with more quality than us, but this wasn't one of them. You know, and I felt yeah. we should have had, we should have, we should have sorted this lot out. You know, or at least come away with a point. 
beat Everton, four out of six, two away games. I can live with that. Three out of six, I can just about live with. But I felt we deserved something from this game, without a doubt. Well, look, the, the Monday game, there's no excuse because there's not many teams playing worse football than Everton are right now. Yeah. Um, they've lost seven games. They're conceding tons of goals. They look absolutely dreadful. They've just been pounded by Liverpool, which, to be fair, everybody gets pounded by Liverpool. They won't have Calvert-Lewin. They won't have Tom Davies. I don't know if Rondon will play. He left the last game injured. But, like, they are a bad team in bad form, missing their best players. And now Arteta's given him – I mean, he's given himself a problem he didn't have to have in a way because with the selection at Old Trafford, you know, we could have just stuck with what he's been doing. He changed. Now does he go back? It's – it's a big moment for him, I think. This feels like an inflection point because this is a game he's going to feel like, if he's honest, if he can look in the mirror, I think this is a game where he'll say, maybe I let us down a bit. And now he's got to turn that around because up until we play City on January 1st, there's not another game between now and January 1st where we really should be losing. I know we play West Ham, but it's home. We play Leeds away, which is a bit tricky, but these are all winnable games between now and January 1st. And so let's see if we can confirm the run we failed to confirm uh, at Old Trafford. And and by January 1st, when we play Manchester City, I think we'll have a pretty clear sense of ourselves, one way or the other. Um, you know, and then the African Cup of Nation kicks in and, it, and the season gets a little weird. So, Clive, I think we'll stop there. Like I said, when when Tim comes on, we'll, we'll cover the incidents maybe a bit more um, and maybe sort of ask what this means for the Everton game coming up and the season as a whole because – you know, we are still one point off West Ham and fourth. Spurs could go ahead of us with the game in hand, but, you know, they're crap, so it's fine. Um, but we'll leave it there. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. All right, we'll take a break. We'll uh, tell you how to hire someone. You know how, like, sometimes we'll put a tweet out and it's got the wrong link in it. We have to sack the intern or we'll post something on social media that's wrong. We have to sack the intern or the audio file will get corrupted. We have to sack the intern. Well, with all the interns we're sacking, um, you know, we're going to need to hire new ones. And I, I think, you know, we have a company that we can tell you about that will do that. So we'll tell you about that. We'll come back with Tim after the break. Stay with us. Okay, perfect. So before Tim comes on, let's talk about Indeed. Thanks to the great resignation, the job market is filled with once-in-a-generation talent. So how is your organization going to put together an all-star team? Your front office needs an all-star roster, and you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because you can do it all, attract interview, and hire all at Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process, so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. With Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com vision. Get $75 credit at Indeed.com vision. That's indeed.com slash vision. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Tim's here. And uh, you don't need me to waffle on a bunch with an introduction, so let's just get into it. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Um, So, real quick, were you at the game? I was indeed, yes. 
Lucky, lucky you. I, I think that's good, though, only in the sense that this is a game I would have loved a tactical camera for to get a sense of what was happening on the pitch, and I think you'll be able to give us a little of that perspective. But before we do that, since Clive and I did the usual sort of high-level analysis stuff where we actually don't discuss anything that happened in the game, let's let's get to some of the incidents, if you don't mind. We'll, we'll knock that mm-hmm. out, and then we can get back to some of the thematic stuff. So incident one is obviously just our first goal, and it's a weird one. But to me, this is as cut and dried as it gets, which is, if you're a United fan, you're furious at David De Gea, and there can't be anyone yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it was a really weird one. It was down the other end to me, so I, I couldn't quite see what had gone on. But it didn't look like anything. It, it was just weird. Like You don't usually see that happen. You don't usually just see the goalkeeper go down like that and let the ball go into the net. And uh, of course, it transpired that it was his own player that took him out. But I, I really couldn't see anything wrong with it. Mm. What, what, again, from an Arsenal perspective, and I guess being wrapped up in you know Old Trafford and and all of that, it's quite an intense place um, to be as an Arsenal fan. The thing that really disappointed me, and it still disappoints me, is that no one on the Arsenal team, like Arsenal, dropped off. Um, there's a theme for you. Arsenal all dropped off and waited for a free kick. Like not one player made the case to the referee, which is staggering when you consider there was absolutely nothing wrong with that goal. And I was really disappointed in that. I particularly, I, I think there's too much stuff about like the senior players must do this and young players must do this. Like I don't think things work like that, but. I, I'd like to have seen the captain like getting in the referee's ear a little bit because the referee wasn't going to give it until I assume the VAR said in his ear, if you don't give this, you're in for a world of shit. <laughs> um, only, my only defense for the players would be maybe, because Aubameyang was talking to Atkinson, I think, at the beginning, and maybe Atkinson had said something like, let me make I'm sure De Gea's okay. Var's yeah. looking at it, so we're, we're on it. We're, you know yeah, what I mean? Because be. if the, if be. the ref in this modern age says Var's looking at it, there's really no need to encircle the ref at that. Yeah, point. yeah. But then again, like they dro- they dropped off like they were expecting the free kick. Like that that was the formation they took up. Like they were waiting for a free kick. And I guess you could say, well, if that's the decision and it's given, then they need to be you know in position. But I, I'd like to have seen a little bit more. Pressure applied, yeah. And, and you know, so I, I know people hate comparisons to American sports, but I'll do it just in this respect. In the NFL, they have replay, right? And the ruling, much like in football and Premier League, basically is it has to be clear, right? It has to be clear evidence to overrule the call on the field. So in this instance, right, if he goes to the center circle and gives the goal, then VAR is looking to see if it should overrule the goal award, right? It's looking for a clear and obvious error. I, I think the scary thing is clearly the call on the field was free kick. So that was the fear, right, Tim, is that what, what they're doing is they're saying, should we give the goal? They hadn't given the goal. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's, a, that's a nuanced difference, a pedantic difference, some might say, but it is a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, you're right. I, d- I like I I didn't see whether Atkinson signaled for a free kick, but everyone lined up for one. Um, well, he had the ball down by De Gea, right? Like, it, yeah, like he had placed yeah. it for a kick there. Um, but like what De Gea does is so crazy. I mean, he doesn't just crumple. He crumples and turns his back to yeah. the game. And I get that like, okay, you're, you're sort of thinking, I'm going to get the call here. Maybe you think you've been done by an Arsenal player, but... I have never, I have never seen anything like that. Like no, turning like, it back to the game, in, in, like incredibly irresponsible. Um, happily for us, mm. and um, 
Yeah, and and I've got to say as well, Smith Rowe did so well um, to turn it in. I, I don't think it was an as easy a finish um, as it looked to to. Re- I, I mean, I know he essentially had an empty net thanks to De Gea, but you know it was it was a big crowd scene from a corner like that. That wasn't um, a straightforward finish, and in the circumstance as well, at, at least he like just finished it and worried about it afterwards because I do think there are maybe a couple of players in this team who would have just stopped. Yeah. Um, or like kicked the ball out and apologised and said, sorry, 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 um, which is um, a bit like how we play. But then again, we kind of did that after we took the lead, didn't we? We were kind of like, sorry, sorry, we scored. Um, sorry about that. We won't attack you anymore. Yeah, well, so the next incident before they equalize that I wanted to cover quickly is our chance to make it 2-0. And it's a Martinelli opportunity from really good work from Martinelli, to be fair, I see this differently from the way a lot of people do. You'll be shocked to hear. Uh, people feel that it was the obvious move for him to slide it across to Smith Rowe. I see a goal scoring forward eight yards out, basically unmarked. And I don't think the fault is that he doesn't slide it to Smith Rowe. I think the fault is he makes a scuffed contact. He's kind of on the stretch. That last touch takes it away from him a bit, if I'm remembering correctly. And so I think he, he doesn't make the contact he wants. He sort of rolls it by the near post, where I think the far post is the place he can go. Some people feel it's obvious to slide it to Smithrow. Looking at the still shots in it, looking at it again, I'm not sure it's a tap-in for Smithrow, even if he does that. So what's your take on that moment? And, um, you know, if it's as clear that he should slide it to Smithrow or not? So I have to say, I, I don't have an opinion on that because it was down the other end and I've not seen the highlights yet. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't really have uh, a perspective on that. But um, I, I understand why he takes it on, having having done the work that he's done um, to get into that position. I, you know, I, I kind of think when you're a forward and you do something like that and you have a bit of momentum and you have like a little bit of swagger, you're right. He just doesn't get it right. That's that's you know the the quote unquote crime in this, I guess. But I think realistically, once you work that hard to get into that kind of position, I think most players take it on because I think you're just in that mindset. Um, and, and I guess maybe with a bit more maturity, a bit more experience, perhaps if he was playing more regularly um, and he felt uh, more comfortable in the team and he felt like, you know, he didn't have to do, like really do something to impress um, albeit I think he really did impress with his display overall. So I, mm-hmm. I completely see why he takes it on, but I'd have to see it again to see like w- precisely what the angles look like because I was yeah I was down the other end and quite low down. I was not that far above pitch level, so I, I couldn't really see properly. Yeah, interesting. I, I guess it's just like there are certain players that you want in a team for certain reasons and certain skills and like, of course, the most important thing a player should do is make the right move in every situation, and they should always do the best thing that can help you score a goal. But Martinelli is a player we want to see play more because we think he is more of an end product guy. Yeah. And you look at that position, I mean, he is eight yards out. He is not really marked. like that. That's a position where a player of his set of attributes, you sort of expect to take the shot. What you expect is the finish. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like one of one of the reasons I think he um he looks so good in this performance and he often looks so good in this team is because of that assertiveness right mm-hmm. um and and that does come with a price and sometimes assertiveness and selfishness can um you know can can overlap um but 
we I think we need that assertiveness. We're getting more of it from Smithrow now, and that's really good. He's taking these kind of shots on and he's passing less, which I think is great because we've got um we've just got a few too many apologizers um yeah. in the team. So I'm all for having, you know, you, you can't have everyone in the team doing that, but I'm all for having like a Martinelli be a bit more you know, be a bit more assertive and, and I guess for want of a better phrase, a bit of a bastard um, in that situation. I think that's fine. It was fine when uh, Van Persie was like that as well when he was younger. I was kind of fine with that. And I, I remember like Henri used to get very annoyed with him for shooting. And, and but I kind of thought, no, this team's turning too much into a, no, you score, no, you score. You're my friend. I like you. You have a shot. Like, I think I think you need maybe one attacker who is just a bit... I'm taking this on. Sorry. I, I yeah. think that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question, um, I, I, I guess the question that happens, you know what, let's, let's skip over what happens next and go through the timeline of events. Cause I like this. We don't do this a lot, but I think there's a lot of little individual events in this game worth pulling apart. Their goal. It's a Ben white giveaway. It's a Ben white. I think defensive error a bit to drop a little deeper, do you have specific thoughts on culpability for their equalizer? I mean, it comes after mm. a period where we'd obviously ceded a lot of possession, a lot of the impetus, and we'll come back and talk about why that happened. But specifically for the goal, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things we've talked about very recently. And actually, Arteta re, uh, referenced the kind of the sloppiness in possession, and it's something we talked about um, maybe even after the last game, just how weird it is that our passing so bad when we've got so many players. Like, there's not a player in this team I'd pick out and say, oh, God, yeah, obviously he's not a great player. Like, maybe Tomiyasu, but even that might be harsh. Like, I'd be stretching to say that. So it is a bit weird that we're so sloppy in possession. It does make me wonder if there's a little bit of confusion with the players because I don't see these players as technically sloppy. So I do wonder what's going on. Um, but but yes, I, I, I think that was kind of down to Ben White. And like you say, it had been happening constantly for the 10 minutes before that. And it really did feel like a matter of time um, until that happened. Like, I, I couldn't believe that with about seven or eight minutes to go for half time, I was thinking, God, I really, I really want half time. We really need to get in at one nil. And it really didn't look likely to me. Um, and and then to concede that right at the end, but but yeah, I think Ben White haven't given him quite a lot of credit on the last podcast. I don't think he had a very good game here, um, a bit like he didn't at Anfield. Yeah, um, I do feel there have been a couple of these big games where maybe they've gotten on top of him um, a little bit because I don't think this was really an isolated incident in this game. I do think that he didn't always look that sure of himself in possession, which is surprising because that's a big strength of his. Um, so I, I don't really know why that is. I don't know the player well enough yet. Maybe, um, you know, this time next year, I'll be saying, oh, he's always like this against the top six or whatever, but it, yeah. it, it doesn't strike me. And, and that might not be the explanation equally, but it, it, it like we don't know the player well enough yet to know if there's a theme to these kind of things happening. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think on that goal, he takes a lot of the culpability. Um, I don't know who was supposed to be tracking Bruno Fernandes, which probably tells you a lot about the job that they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's culpability there as well. I mean, but, par- but Party is walking. It's not yeah. a good look for him. And, and he has a couple of moments, because I think after the Tavares giveaway for the United second goal, um, 
which it's not it's a it's not really Tavares giveaway. He tries to play it to Smith Rowe, who's on his heels a little bit, and and Tavares had pinched up and, and intercepted the ball. So I don't hate that, but I think Party's walking on that one also. So yeah. a potential culpability on both of those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think there is shared culpability. But to be honest, with the 10 minutes that preceded that goal, it could have been anyone because they were all doing it, frankly. Um, Another incident, and again, since you haven't watched the highlights, this one you may not have a good sense of, but I just don't know how the tug on Tomiyasu is a penalty. I mean, it... Yeah. And it's so boneheaded from Maguire because it's as obvious and blatant as can be. And there's a part of me that thinks if they hadn't given the Smith Rowe goal, we get that penalty. Yeah, but it yeah, was a yeah. classic case of balancing out what they felt was just a sense of justice, which is ridiculous. That yeah. is a penalty. I mean, yep. I don't, I don't see any other way around it. No, definitely not. And and again, it was like down the other end, but I still saw it. It was that obvious. It was, it was, it, it was a little bit of an odd refereeing performance really from mm. Martin Atkinson because the, like the penalty United get again down the other end to me this the, like the second the tackle cam comes in you know you can just smell a penalty a mile off and it's like oh my god that is and then like I it I didn't even enter my head that it wouldn't be given and and when it wasn't given I was just like oh my god surely VAR is going to pull that one up so but this yeah. one yeah and and I just I have a big problem with um the way these incidents are refereed in the penalty area it's it's just it's so weird that in open pl- or like in anything other than a set piece if you lightly brush someone's shoelace and they go down it's a penalty but like at set pieces you're allowed to like rip their shirts off I I don't understand it I, I don't I think the principle reason is you're off the ball right so like like yeah. if you're if you have the ball at your feet and someone ta- makes a tackle and taps your shoelace like the the referee has a cleaner i think m- mental ability intellectual ability yeah like yeah he had the ball in the penalty area and was fouled whereas like when a ball is just floating through the air on a set piece and one of the guys in the box is pulled back there's less of a direct correlation yeah, between yeah, yeah. that guy and what's happening with the ball you know indeed and that and that's uh that's quite like an emotional reason um oh yeah it's and, not the right not to, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for a referee to get drawn into that and and but the thing is it's like it's so constant like this happens all the time and there's rarely penalties given and and i just don't understand it and and even the kind of well hmm, we don't even know if he'd he'd have got to the ball which which i don't believe is in the rules anyway but it's like well, you let the defender make the decision for you then, don't you? You don't have to decide. Harry Maguire thought he was going to get the ball. That's why he put that's why he fouled him. It's it's the same sometimes with like um like the Johnny Evans on a Bamiang thing a few weeks ago where he wasn't yep. sent mm-hmm. off. And it's like, oh, yep. is that a clear goal scoring opportunity? It's like well, Evans well, sure thought so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Johnny Evans thought it was. That's why he did it. So But you know what? I'll, I'll even go further. I'll say I don't want any contact on set pieces to be a penalty. I think it's too big a reward to give for something that's just too, like you've got lots of, you know, 10 players on each team running or, you know, whatever, eight players running into each other in the box. There's going to be collisions. Fine. But this wasn't that. Exactly. Yeah. Grabs his arm with two hands and pulls back with all of his might. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a coming together. It's not physicality. It's not even a bit of pushing it's and shoving. Cheating. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. just cheating. That's all it it's, is. <laughs> it's not six of one, half a dozen of the other. You're right. Yeah, no. like a little bit of you know shoving or shoulder, and you know that's that's kind of one thing. But this is just I, I don't see 
like would it have been different if it have like clipped his ankles on purpose would that have been given then i think it probably would have yeah and again that that doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me like why it's the same thing so what but why are they treated differently is it's very it's bizarre. odd. But yeah, it's, it's and, and here's the funny thing, right? I, I am loath to criticize refereeing decisions when you lose matches where you play poorly. But here's the funny thing, right? We played poorly. United were terrible too. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way you come away from this thing, well, United deserved to win. Like, no one deserved to win this game. It was a poorly no. played game. But so I, I'm I'm a little more sympathetic to us not getting the call because I feel like justice in this game would have been a couple of jammy penalties and weird goals where two teams that played poorly split the points, you know? Yeah, and draw three all. Yeah, yeah like, draw three all. Exactly. Yeah, three all yeah. with some weird goals. Like that, that would have been absolutely fitting for this game because, yeah. as you say, both teams were rubbish. Yeah, Um. We can skip the second goal. We sort of touched on it, but there's the the winner for United comes from penalty. And so I'm going to have a a really heterodox opinion on this. I, I know it's a penalty. I don't think it's a penalty, and I'm going to tell you why. And everybody's going to think I'm out of my mind, and I'm wearing my Arsenal glasses, but hear me out. And I don't think anybody sees me, Tim, as the defender of the badge type guy. But mm. so Fred is, it's Fred, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. Fred is running towards the byline. And Odegaard goes to ground. He should not go to ground in that way. It's clumsy. It's stupid. It's an Odegaard mistake and and absolutely 100% deserves the blame for it. But Fred takes the wildest, most unnatural sideways step with the leg to put it between the legs of Odegaard. Odegaard doesn't take Fred's legs. Fred puts his foot between Odegaard's legs. So like... Mm. I get why it's a penalty, and it has to be a penalty. But I feel like if I go to ground, and then you see me on the ground and put your foot between my legs so that I take your foot out, that shouldn't be a penalty. And that that is what he does. Now, again, my rational brain understands why that's going to be given. It looks bad. It's clumsy. And for all those reasons, it's going to be a penalty. But if you watch the reverse angle of it, there is zero doubt in my mind that Fred does not have his leg taken. He puts his leg between Odegaard's legs. And the guy who was like the master of this, the leg drag, the, was the Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney loved to get penalties yeah. like this, where he would find contact if a player went to ground or was near him. But it is what it is. Again, I, I understand why it's a penalty, and arguably they could have had another one earlier. It just, it sucks. It's an Odegaard mistake. I mean, I assume you're not going to see it the way I do. So in that respect, how frustrated were you with with Martin Odegaard there? Yeah, very, very frustrated. I mean, you're right in that um, something that's started to happen now is that penalties are rewards rather than punishment. Um, penalties are supposed to be punishment for a foul, not reward because you saw a foul. Um, but but this one, I, I mean, I, I really just don't know what was going through Odegaard's mind. I don't understand. The thing is, it wasn't even that desperate a situation. When you look at it, Arsenal have got plenty of players in the box. Like obviously, you don't want the other team having the ball in your penalty area, but he wasn't like in a position to shoot or anything. And and even if he was, like you, you've seen Fred shoot, like <laughs> it's it's not a worry. You don't have to no, worry about it. No. Um, and so it it really that really did just seem like and to come in from behind, like when you come in from behind like that, I think anywhere on the pitch that's stupid. But in the penalty area, it's just. I, I mean, he clearly just lost his head. There's for a nothing worse than the penalty from no danger. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Because like, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. we've just given away a goal when we didn't have to. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. And like, I, I think he'll know it. Like, I, no one will need to tell him um, about that. And and it's it's kind of out of character. It's not 
it's not something you associate with Odegaard kind of lunging into challenges from behind. And again, like who, who knows what else is behind that? Maybe, you know, just one is placed back in the team, wants to impress, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't really know the, the factors that go into making that decision because it was it was a weird one and, and obviously a very costly one. And especially considering he got Arsenal back into the game with his goal, um, which, which is a really, really positive step because it's his first from open play this season and we need more of that. And yeah, so it was pretty disappointing for him to yeah. to kind of rip up his own good work. So before we roll back to to finish off with selection and some some questionable either tactics or personal decisions by players, we'll get into that. I just want to finish with substitutions. Um, first of all, the fact that it took till 70 minutes to make one felt weird to me. The fact that it took till mm. 79 minutes to make the second ones. I don't know if it was Arteta. You know, I, I hypothesized to, to Clive that Arteta was almost willing to lose 3-2 more than he was willing to go for it and and lose 4-2 or 5-2. I, you know, maybe that's mm. just totally reading into it. But it, it felt like a weird doubling down. Like, this game got in Arteta's head. He picked a weird lineup that, you know, involved some choices that I don't think, in retrospect, make a lot of sense. And then he stuck with them, and then he plays the full 90. You know, he doesn't he doesn't bring on Pepe, who's been out in the And it felt sort of like this iconoclastic... Arteta of the past of like ha- having some big calls to make, making weird ones, and then really sort of puffing out his chest and saying these were the right call. I don't know. I'm I'm searching for an explanation that maybe I'm yeah. clumsily tripping over. But the the substitution patterns, the players he picked, the timing of it all seemed really unusual. Yeah, definitely. And and it's weird. I th- this is where we've jinxed it again, I think, with some of our comments on the previous podcast about how Arteta was making these big calls. Um, and, uh, and, and look, so, like some of it, when you take a longer view, yeah, some of it's just dictated by game state. So we won against Newcastle and Martinelli scored. So of course he made brilliant substitutions for the right reasons. Whereas we played other than the first half an hour, we played badly in this and we lost. So of course the substitutions were rubbish. Like, but I, I did. Yeah. I, I, I found them strange for the same reason. I, I get putting Saka on. He would have been, you know, health pending probably would have been my first choice off the bench. Really the, the Inketi or what? Like, I think he just wanted to take a Bamiyang off. Um, which I get because, he frankly, was <laughs> he was yeah he was bad, and that's where his performances are at the moment. So I get that, and the, but the you know as we've seen the log jam that Arteta is in is that the other <laughs> the other options aren't aren't pulling up trees either, and so for this to be in Ketia's like first minutes of the season, um, yeah, was quite odd. I think, and particularly because we weren't really getting the ball in the box. So I, I don't know what he expected of Inketia, really. And even like bringing Lacazette, Lacazette on for Erdegaard. Like, I don't think Erdegaard was brilliant, but I think we lost something. But it was all very like well. to like, right? I mean, you took off three forwards and you placed him with three forwards. So it's, you know, there wasn't off comes a fullback for a forward or off comes one of the DMs and Smith Rowe can slide in the midfield. Yeah. And he, you know, it was, it was very much a... I'm not going to destabilize the security at the back to go chase this game. Yeah, know? and and the problem is with like Enketia for Abamyang that that's like for like in type, which is kind of the problem at the moment. But it's I see not what you like, mean, for yeah, like low touch sort of yeah, yeah. To, you know, mm-hmm. So he's going to do the same things, but he just doesn't do them as well. 
And so you're just bringing on like an inferior version of Aubameyang, yeah. which, which which is kind of difficult. Like with with Martinelli there, I'd have seen much more sense in just putting Lacazette up front and saying, well, actually, Martinelli's really, you know, do, doing like Liverpool do, where it's like really Salah is the striker. Um, and you can do something like that and go, well, okay, Lacazette's like a good facilitator. Mm. So then you make Martinelli um, your kind of your threat from wide. But um, yeah, it, it it was really odd. I, I I think the only, I guess, relief I have, if that's the right word, is that like Smith Rowe, I mean, I, I think Smith Rowe did tire, but at the moment he's our most, most likely avenue for a goal and he stayed on. And I like that Martinelli stayed on because... I mean, he damn well should have. But yeah, he was he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it it kind of felt like you know it might be one of those. Oh, I decided before the game to take him off after seventy minutes, so that's what I'm going to do. Like I, I'm sure in Arteta's mind, he probably thought, yeah, I'll probably give him seventy minutes. But he, you know, he was playing so well that you couldn't take him off. So, like, assuming my assumption there is correct, that shows a little bit of flexibility in terms of game state and everything like that. But but the Pepe one's odd, isn't it? Well, I mean, I, I say odd. I don't necessarily mean wrong because I don't know what's gone on. But, but like, something's happened there. By, wh- by which, like, I don't... That doesn't have to mean enormous drama, soap opera, fallout type thing. But, I mean, he's played five minutes in, what, six games now? Since the Palace game where maybe he wasn't, yeah, you know, what the manager wanted. I mean, there, there's something Indeed. to that. He was playing a there lot. Is. And now he's not playing at all. And I didn't have a problem with, you know, Martinelli coming on for Saka in the last game. We loved it for all yep. the right reasons. And I, I kind of made the point after that, look, if Martinelli comes on, Pepe isn't. If Pepe comes on, Martinelli isn't. And we'll make something out of either of those things. Mm-hmm. But when Enkedia comes on instead of Pepe, that's different, right? You got a guy who just turned yeah, down yeah. a contract. He's not staying at the club. So, you know, and one guy is hard of his prime, dangerous player, even if he's not your cup of tea working off the ball, whatever, whatever the heck your frustration of the moment is with him, you know, it yeah, seems yeah. a more logical Two choice. guys who are going this summer, um, coming on, and one of whom hasn't had any Premier League minutes this, like, yeah, it's it's very it's pointed. Yeah. It's very pointed. And yeah, we we can surmise that, again, when I say something has happened, that doesn't have to mean enormous fallout and they hate each other, but... Yeah, something's changed there, yeah, and yeah. and I understand that as well because I I think a lot of us have hit a point where maybe I say given up on Pepe, like well, the, the hope that Pepe will become this thing that we exactly. think he could have been is yeah. starting to fade, and just we're accepting what, what he got. is yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly that, yeah, which is you know a far far cry from what we had hoped when he arrived. Look, this ties back in though to the selection issue for me, so we might as well get to it, which is. Mm. You know, I, I have been an Arteta skeptic at times. I, let's just be honest. I've been Arteta out at times prior to Boxing Day of last year. I didn't see how that was an okay situation, but he he wrote it back. And since Boxing Day of last season, if you want to look at, you know, gerrymandered <laughs> tables that pick specific <laughs> dates, it, it actually looks okay. And I think what's happened since this transfer window closed is looks okay. You know, maybe I'm not as enamored with it as some people are, but I certainly yeah. see the, the positives of it. But, like, it was also built on this thing we talked about just last pod, Tim, where it feels like he, he figured out who his team is and what his system is, and he wants to go with that. You know, and he, and he made a choice with the selection here. And it's a very specific one. It's the Elneny one. And he mm-hmm. told us why he did it. He did it because last year we played well at Old Trafford and won with Elneny. But, like, it is a departure from 
what the f- philosophy has been this season, which is go with the guys who are the future. And yeah. Tavares was playing, and Sambi was playing, and Tomiyasu and White and Ramsdale. And, you know, we had brought Odegaard back in. I don't know that I would have used him in this game, but that's another story. But, like, this just feels like a weird departure. And I'm curious, even if you don't think Elneny was the biggest problem in this game, and Clive has sort of talked about why he thinks it was more of a problem than some people do, that just felt like a very strange moment to kind of abandon philosophically what has driven the resurgence. Yeah, I I found the expert because one of the one of the themes I think I've picked up from Arteta is 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 you're right that kind of meritocracy. Like if you've played well, you kind of stay in more or less. And it'll be interesting. Like Martinelli will be an interesting test case for that because um, with what he's done in the last game and a bit, he should stay in, um, and and I think he will. But with the El anything, like I just found the the explanation that because he played there well last season, um, I found that a bit weird. I guess maybe he was looking at Anfield and thinking, well, actually, we probably need someone a little bit more senior in there, someone a little less kind of, I guess, overawed by it. But I mean, Manchester United aren't Liverpool; they're no, it's, very, it's, very that's, long that's way short. The shirt, not the team. You know, yeah, it's not who they it, are. Exactly, exactly, and then. You know when he, you know, he talks about like Elneny's behaviour in training and him deserving it, and and like I get that, but it's like I, I don't care. Elneny's going <laughs> at the end of the season. I don't, I don't care. Like giving someone a place in the team isn't like it's not like you know buying someone a pint or something. It's not a favour. It's it 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 was weird. Like I th- I think I, especially like, because I hope, he didn't just bypass Sambi. He bypassed Maitland yeah. Niles too, who had had some man yeah, of the match yeah. performances. So this wasn't like well, I had two guys to pick and I picked him. He skipped both of the guys and picked. Yeah, up. yeah, and and that is a bit weird for someone again whose contract is up at the end of the season and isn't it is isn't going to stay um, and isn't like, going to get us any money either. It's not like a stormer yeah. at Old Trafford drives his value up. Yeah, yeah, and and also he's he's not a great player anyway. So it's oh, yeah. like, it, 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 it is quite weird. Like I, I thought he was fine. I thought as soon as it went to three, two, he should have been off because that like, he's, he's just of no use in that situation. But it, it did seem a bit weird. I, I hope that there was just whether I agree with it or not. I hope that there was a more tactical explanation and that maybe Arteta was just, you know, just like, throwing a bit of a you know flashing a card or something by saying well he played well here last season like who who gives a shit like if he played well there last season like that's that's not that's not how this works it's a different game it's a different challenge like they've got different players um now and there's fans in the stadium and and things like that like it's a completely different game so it does seem a bit weird that like oh he played well here last season therefore he will definitely play well here this season like that's not how this works but I, I'd like to think that maybe he had and and maybe he was protecting Sambi in a way just by kind of saying because he didn't want to say look we we just wanted a bit more experience there and Sambi was a little bit rabbit in the headlights at Anfield and we didn't want that again and and you know maybe he was just protecting Sambi by saying well Elneny played well here last season so I've played him again like that's that that doesn't strike me as something that a, a manager would rationally take into account in a, I feel in a selection like, decision. Yeah, and I feel like Tim, like, and look, who am I? I'm just some, some guy on a podcast, and he, Mikel Arteta is the, the manager of Arsenal, but like, 
I feel like it's a misunderstanding of the tactical opportunity against United because if you've been watching them, they don't keep the ball particularly well. They're very mm-hmm. poor at pressing. You can progress it right. I mean, Chelsea just waltzed through them. Waltz. And their like, defense is dreadful. dreadful. Well, so that's my point. So you say, if I look at that team tactically, I want my ball progressors out there. I want to get it through the thirds and and get at that defense because it's tissue paper soft. I know they have some guys that can hurt me in attack, but yeah. but they're vulnerable. And like, you know, whatever you think of Sambi, maybe being a little loose on the ball, the man can progress the ball. I mean, the man has been the better ball progressor than Thomas Partey. And so yep. you you bring in an El Nenny, you tell United, okay, well, now we can just folk key on Partey and keep the ball from him because El Nenny's not going to hurt us. And then you wind up with 30 minutes where you can't get the ball out of your own half. And it all it all spirals from there. I, I, I do think we have to talk about Thomas Partey, though, because I get it. Defenses are keying on him. He's getting more of the focus, more of the attention. But... It is becoming a problem, and I mean, it, he was sort of mm-hmm. walking on a couple of the goals. I'm not sure how fit he is, fine, but if he's not fit, he shouldn't be playing, for God's sakes. And, you know you know what's funny, right, Tim? I think you'd agree with this. The worst social media reaction, worst reaction ever got to a podcast, more yeah. than the Emory podcast number one, was expressing <laughs> some, not a lot, some concern about the Thomas Party signing. Well, the funny thing about it is, for all the concern I expressed, my concern wasn't, he'll be bad. Yeah, I didn't yeah, even yeah. countenance that. You know what I mean? It was age, it was price, it was was it the right point for us in the process? Is he transformative? But like this is different. Like I he's kind of just playing bad right now and I yeah. did not envision that. And I'm sort of curious what you think with this player because it, you know, whether you thought the signing was smart or not. I think a lot of people thought, well, he's still a good player and it's nice to have yeah, a good yeah. player, but he's not playing like a good player right now. No, no, he's not. And and it's a weird one because I want and again we don't know the player well enough yet because we haven't had him long enough and he hasn't been fit long enough. But one, one of the one of the things might just be that he takes a while to to hit his stride um, after he's had an injury. and Like Aaron Ramsey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would have been impossible to scout that because he was very rarely injured to this yep. point. So it would have been very difficult for them, for them to anticipate that, I guess. Um, and, you know, he didn't have, like, there's no, there was no reason for them to believe really that injury would be a problem because he's had such a fantastic bill of health before coming to Arsenal and and in many respects I think that's probably just unfortunate but I I am concerned yes I do wonder a little bit whether this move of formation has hurt him a little bit just because it means there's essentially two central midfielders and like you say that makes it easy to mark one of them which tends to be him because I mean this is the other thing about the on any decision right Sambi, did he create six chances against Newcastle? Yeah. Like, I know that's Newcastle, but st- no, it was eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, Manchester United defensively aren't a hell of a lot better yeah. than Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, because Newcastle kind of did that thing where they, they doubled up on party and left Lakonga, and yeah, Lakonga had him. himself a nice little time, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there probably is an element of that. I, I do think, like, going to that kind of... I mean, I, I keep calling it a four-four-two. I don't think it is really, but that's just shorthand. Like that, perhaps does leave us a little bit short in that area, and maybe he's, you know, he's struggled to cope with that. Maybe the supply line um, isn't quite the same because it's not Xhaka. I think Xhaka and Party have played pretty well together when they've played together. And I guess the other thing to look at is that, like, the next link in that chain is Erdegaard, and he's not playing brilliantly and the next link in that chain is Aubameyang and he's not playing that brilliantly like through the spine at the moment 
there's there's a few players who aren't who aren't putting in the performances we know they can. Whereas a lot of um a lot of our kind of threat and our good performances are on the exterior of the team at the moment. And so the Smith young Rowe, players, ironically. Yeah, yeah. And like Smith Rowe, Saka, Tavares, like uh, and, and I think Tommy Asu's been pretty decent Very as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it is weird that like in the exteriors of the team those tend to be the stronger performances at the moment. So I, I can't put my finger on exactly why or what it is, but there is a bit of an issue in that spine at the moment. Um, and, and I'll be interested to see whether that changes um, when Xhaka returns, albeit when Xhaka returns, party probably party won't be, be here. Well, so. And that's the thing, because if you want to say party misses Shaka, I'm open to that. Absolutely, of course. Good players yeah. like having good players beside them. But then if the answer surely isn't, we're going to partner him with an even less passing play. Like Sammy yeah, yeah. at least can receive it on the half turn, punch it forward, you know, play some progressive passes. You put El Nenny next to him and it, you're telling the other team, just mark party out of the game. Yeah. That's all you and, have to do. And look, at, I, I think um, Andrew referenced it in his blog um, this morning. Um, well, Friday morning, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. And he said, just look at the amount of touches El Nenny had. Yeah. When it got to three two, and that that wasn't a sign of Elneny's growing influence on the game. That that was a sign of Manchester United going, yeah, we'll let you have the ball. We we won't worry too much about it. And that's, you know, that that's what um, other teams tell you um, about your players. And I'm sure had and they probably didn't expect Elneny to play either. So it probably took them a little while to think, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Because I'm pretty sure that Michael Carrick and his analysts are looking at Arsenal Newcastle and going. Ah, Sambi created eight chances. He's he's actually quite good. He can hurt us. And I think we gave them a bit of a gift by removing that equation. And that's ultimately that's that's got to be a learning point for Arteta. Yeah. And I mean that but that leaves us having to just now finish with what is a really worrying trend? A worrying mm. trend of a team that can take a lead keeping the ball, passing well, creating threat, pressing, and then can concede all of the possession and territory, no longer complete three passes in a row, no longer play out, Mm. no longer carry any threat. And different games have different stories, and sometimes that's imposed upon you. Mm. Manchester United aren't imposing anything upon anyone right now. No. But it's the Palace game, it's the Leicester game, it's the Spurs game, it's periods of the Watford game, it's this game... Tim, there's only two possibilities. One is the manager is telling them to play like this. The other is the manager is telling them not to play like this. Yeah. But neither answer is acceptable in the face of the fact that they keep playing like this. So yep. you have the tactical cam view from the stadium. This is the one thing I cannot see when I'm watching the TV view. What the hell is happening yeah. when we go from having 100% of the final third touches for the first 13 minutes to none of them for the next 30? Yeah, yeah. And and it was stark as well. It was absolutely stark. Like everyone um around me in the away end. You know, you don't and, and this isn't a criticism because people are entitled to enjoy games however they please course, and yeah. get into like the tactical side as much as they want or don't want. It's absolutely fine. But it's very rare you get a consensus form on something like that, on something that's I guess slightly technical. That doesn't often happen, but it really it was so stark. Everyone was going, "Why have you stopped playing?" That like they're fucking rubbish. They're absolute rubbish. And like, because when that goal was given, my thought was, "Right, let, let's go and get another one." Like they might. And we almost not did be, it to be fair before yeah, we before yeah. we started sinking deeper. 
Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we might not get, you know, because one thing they've got, and one of the reasons it was so weird in this game, you look at that United team, if there's one thing I don't do, it, I mean, like, where's their strength and where's their weakness? If there's one thing I don't do is allow them to accentuate their strengths by going forward and let them off the hook for their enormous defensive weakness. It was very weird. All, all I can say was Arteta was like frantically waving on the touchline. So there was, and he does keep saying that that's not what he wants them to do. You're, you're right. That that's not really a much better answer because it just means the players are doing it. I'm, I, I have to say, I, I tweeted about this a little bit today. It's, it's quite difficult to explain. I'm not sure I did a great job of it when I tried to tweet about it. Um, I really don't think it's inexperience. Like a lot of people, and I, and I understand why, and maybe it is, but I think a lot of people at the moment are like just pointing to that in lieu of being able to come up with another explanation because it's a bit baffling. And and I really think that we do this, not just in football, we do this to young people a lot. <laughs> we just go, oh, they're young and stupid. Or, you know, they don't have, like, I, I just it's a, it's a way of dismissing any, any inquiry that could go any further or have a better yeah. explanation. Yeah. And I, I don't like, I, I don't buy it for a number of reasons. First of all, like we're talking, you know, we're kind of talking about them. Like they're a bunch of 16 year olds, like they're 22, 23, most of them like, yeah, that's young. I, I'd like to be 22, 23 again. That's a lot younger than I am, <laughs> but, but you know, that like they're quite experienced. They're not like all like callow kids. And the two youngest members of the team, Smithrow Saka, I don't see like naivety or fear in them. I see the absolute opposite. Yeah, they're not I the see, ones responsible for the problem. Either. No, no, I I see them as um, as leaders, um, and and I and I mean that. And I, and like when I say that, I'm not saying that as like a dig at the senior players. Like I do think that leadership's kind of something you've got or you haven't. Um, regardless of your age. And I look at Smithrow and Saka and I think they've got it because they've got that bravery. Um, and and it's, it's because they're fabulous players, basically. If you're really, really good, you can, like, you can be seen as a leader. Like, if you're really good at football, that's just kind of how it works. But um, because a lot of the things that make you good encompass, you know, being brave, being assertive, making the right decisions, and they do that. And they've both done it since the day they walked into the team. And now, like, Saka has over 100 Arsenal appearances and Smith Rowe has played a lot of football. And, and you know, Saka's had an absolutely unique experience of, like, you know, unfortunately missing that penalty. Like, no other English footballer has gone through that ever. Mm. So, like, I don't think he's inexperienced. And so that it just... but. But it makes this question even more baffling to me because I just don't accept the argument that, oh, they're all like quite young and naive and so they go 1-0 up and they get scared and all of that. Like, I I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't bite. That's not what I see. Mm-hmm. And so it does make me wonder about the instruction, but also what it makes me wonder is like we were talking about the sloppiness in the passing, like is that just because the player, and and like I don't believe, maybe incorrectly, I don't believe that they're technically inferior players. So is there is there like some element of confusion about where they're supposed to be and about what they're supposed to do? I don't know. And I, and I wonder whether the message, because I, I wonder if basically they're kind of asked to play on the counter don't have 
clear instructions about what exactly that entails because I don't know the, the the dropping back and the bad passing both of those things strike me as quite odd and I just wonder if there's there's um you know there's something in the signal there that's not quite getting through from the coaches yeah and the problem is if you want to blame it on Ilneni if you want to blame it on Odegaard being there instead of Lacazette if you want to blame it on I mean it doesn't matter because you can point to a game where we did it, where the other guys were there. Yeah, and that's why it's a worrying trend, because it is a feature of the game that does not seem to change whether we're home or away, whether mm-hmm. this guy's playing or that guy's playing. And, you know, again, I, I said this, and I, I just reiterate it so much so that I'm clear. I'm not asking for us to have 70% of the ball for 90 minutes and create all the chances. Yeah, yeah. Tim, this isn't we lose a little control. This is yeah. turtle shell stuff. This is, yeah. I mean, it's if you look at influence maps or touch maps or any of that stuff and you focus on the period from 15 minutes to 45 minutes, it's stark. If you go from zero to 15 minutes, we're all in their half, a lot of central spaces, they're entirely wide and pinned to the touchline and we're pressing them and it's working. And then you look at the next half hour. Maguire's playing on the halfway line or, or in our half. You know, they're, they have all the central spaces we have nobody, literally nobody whose influence map is in the attacking half. And it's it's so stark. And I think there, there's no good explanation for it that doesn't involve speculation. Mm-hmm. And while I'm totally in agreement that there's no way Arteta is saying, hey, just go into a turtle shell and don't have any of the ball and don't attack, there must be wires being crossed here somewhere. Yeah. Um and I, 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 you know, I don't know how to explain that. And I, I think that there's a big problem in midfield. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something about this formation that makes it difficult for us to play out through central spaces. But it's not that easy to play out through central spaces when teams press you anyway. I, you know, I don't know if it's structural, but Arteta's whole thing is positional football. And so, it, you know, mm-hmm. the players should be in good positions to play out. They're technical enough to ping these passes. I don't have a good answer for it, but no. I mean, it, it, is, it is a critical flaw to fix <laughs> it, it really is that there's quite a few things going on that, that I, I think the conclusion we've come to is we don't know we don't can't know. explain it like why is the passing bad don't know why do they keep dropping off don't know um you know the abamyang thing like I, you know i think he deserves um you know crit- criticism and scrutiny for his performances that's fine but then i look around and i'm like well no one else is like lacazette's got one goal pepe's got no goals saka's got two like there's something else happening there, you know? And before last night, Erdogan had one. Like, it's not like there are other guys doing better. And and when Aubameyang was taken off, like Nketiah and Lacazette come on and, and do basically nothing. And so, you know, it, it, it's like there's something else going on here. But none of us at the moment can put our finger on what that thing is that is leading to lack of chances, the forward's not looking great, bad passing, and then just dropping off. But it, but it is something critical to fix because, you know, if we're talking about it, other teams will be talking about it. And um, <clears throat> maybe we'll get into a situation where teams will just say, concede to Arsenal in the first five minutes. <laughs> so you can win then, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then like the next 85 minutes are yours, yeah. basically. So just like let them score and then, and then they'll do nothing after that. And so... You know that it, it is an absolutely critical flaw to fix. I, I guess I'd say that I think Arteta is very, very aware of that. This isn't quite 
Um, you know, this time last year when we were walloping 100 crosses into the box aimlessly and he was no, trying to justify it. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I think he agrees that this is a problem and therefore they will look for a solution. Um, and I guess if you're looking for some comfort, it would be in that. Yeah, and to be clear, like, it it, it kind of went away against Newcastle, which makes it all the stranger that we didn't just go with that group again because we were able mm-hmm. to get... The, you know, I, I think we stayed on top of them the whole game for the most part in that game. I, I don't know. Um, well, we have Everton next. The thing I'll ask you, I mean, I think he will go back to Samby. I think he may finally bring mm-hmm. Tierney back in. And I, you know, yep. it's not that I think um, Tavares done anything wrong, but, you know, eventually Tierney's coming back it's, in. It's a fair the, time to do it. Yeah. The the one that's going to get a lot of attention is what you do with Aubameyang. And as a final mm-hmm. thought, like, I don't think you can drop Martinelli. Um, there's a part of me that wonders if the right combination of physicality and directness and energy would be to play Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right, Lacazette up front, and Smith-Rowe in the 10. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not saying we're going to that anytime soon. And, and there is the question of why would you tear this all up just because of a bad trip to Old Trafford? But the forwards are an issue. And you're mm-hmm. only as good as your forwards at some level. I mean, you know, you can look at any of the good teams and and they have forwards that are absolutely on it. I mean, no, no one more than mm-hmm. Liverpool. But so... Is that is that really the big issue now? What do we do with Aubameyang in this current form yeah. and how much longer can we persist with that? Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, the alternatives don't look that flattering. But what I would say is perhaps Martinelli might save him here. Um, and I know I said this before this game that I wouldn't be surprised if Lacazette started on the basis that if you've got Martinelli wide, you've kind of got your, your striker, um, your striker-ish kind of person who attacks the box and takes on shots and things like that. And I think the presence of Martinelli makes Lacazette make more sense just because like Lacazette's goal threat is is very, very minimal um, at the moment. But if he can help Martinelli to be more of a goal threat, then maybe you get round that a little bit. Because without Martinelli, if you just put Lacazette up front, I, I think, um, you don't exactly fix the problem where we can't get the ball in the box. Um, I, I would play the the kind of the system that you tout there. I, I do wonder whether you could start Erdegaard and, ju- and just rotate Smith Rowe because he's played a lot and he did begin to look a bit tired um, yeah, that's, towards that's the end of this point. game. So maybe you play Erdegaard and you know bring Smith Rowe on, who would be a very good impact sub, I think. Um, and obviously, it would also depend on like Saka's health and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I would I would definitely go with that forward line. And then if you've got Smith Rowe and Aubameyang on the bench, like that's that's a decent couple of subs to bring on. Yeah. Well, l- let's leave it there. I mean, the good news is Everton are, are in as bad a, a patch of form as anybody in the league. Missing their best players, very beatable manager situation, you know, you don't want to speculate on how that can impact the game, but I I can't imagine them looking great. I think Arteta just has to, has to really stick with what has worked and not get back into this pattern of rethinking everything again. And, you know, like that's the danger for a manager. You find something that works and it can be very tenuous and you, you deviate from it just a bit and suddenly you're searching again. Yeah, and, and you know, look, every, everything you said about Everton was true when we went there this time last year as well, by the way. So, um, you know, hopefully maybe he's learned something from that. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, Tim's on Twitter, so bro. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. 
My name is Alex Bendigabak, me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, it is a big game on Monday, so we'll have an instant reaction for that, and then the regular pod will, will obviously be delayed until Tuesday. We might get a rewatch of the first half at Old Trafford over the weekend with me and Clive, so stay tuned for that over on the Patreon side. There's going to be a watch party for the Everton game, but it's limited to 200 people as the technology is new, so it's going to be an invitation-only kind of thing, but if it works, we're going to open it up, and it's going to be great. So uh, look forward to, to hopefully that coming off without a hitch. In any event... Um, well, I hope this was a catharsis for you and better things on Monday. We can get right back on track. Top four still on. It's all good. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Never to know. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.